Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 1. This is Lesson 7. Because we're in the middle of a story right now regarding the man, the paralytic, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, and I'm just going to start reading from Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. You guys can stay on the page that you are, which I believe is somewhere around page 32. Um, but let me just read this. It says, in, uh, beginning in Mark 2 and verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Remember again that this was his house. All right, and in verse 2 says, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So it made it a point that even the door was blocked. There was no way to get in. And he preached the word to them. Now, um, it says here, we jumped next to Luke's gospel, where he says in Luke 5 and verse 17, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That was a real key statement. Amen. And then it says in verse 18, you know, in Luke 5, And then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on a housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And we've looked at all of this, so I'm just going to keep reading. All right, and then it says in Matthew, remember we jumped to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2, I'm on page 28, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And this is when all hell breaks loose, basically. And it says, uh, I'm in Luke 5, 21, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who, who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That was on page 30. Moving back to Mark chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? And Matthew's account in Matthew 9, 4, he actually says, Why do you think evil in your heart. Now we've caught up. Uh, have you got all that? Okay, alright. Remember again, William Hendrickson, I'm going to begin with his quote and then we'll move forward from there, says that these evil reasonings, I'm on the top of page 32, within these religious leaders would be something like, it is an easy thing for him to say, your sins are forgiven. For no one is able to disprove it, since no one can look into his neighbor's heart or enter the throne room of the Almighty and discover his judicial decisions as to who is and who is not forgiven. On the other hand, to tell this man, get up and walk, would be far more difficult. For if no cure results, as uh, is probable, this is the Pharisee thinking, uh, we are all here to witness his embarrassment. Okay? So this is, these were the evil reasonings that these Pharisees had in their heart. Okay? So what all this reveals to us is that they themselves were e the evil ones. See, who would be thinking like that? I know somebody comes in just to disrupt things and to look for you to fail. That's not godly. Wherever you go, always be there to help people, especially if you see uh, that they're going to go down in flames. Don't stand there and point and laugh and mock, you know, <laughs> okay? Don't be a part of that group. You do everything to restore them and help them and, and whatever you can do. 
Alright, and so again, they themselves were the evil ones, and it was their own hearts they should have been examining. After all, as Hendrickson says, was it not in order to find fault with Jesus that they had come here today, with the ultimate purpose that they might destroy him? That's in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to get to that. And so Jesus, again, perceiving their evil inward reasonings, proposes a test. And it is exactly what they were hoping for. And what they thought would finally expose him as a fraud. And so says in Mark chapter 2 and verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Because they're thinking this already, so he's going to address their thoughts. Alright, so he says, which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. See, because they're thinking, oh, it's easy for you to say this, but let's see you do something. And let me address some things here while we get to this now. A lot of times, you know, even in, in meetings when we're praying for people, not everything happens straight away. You know, sometimes people go home and then miracles take place and so on and so forth. Sometimes they happen straight away, sometimes they don't. That's the thing, you just never know. And so basically to base this whole thing on one miracle, on the fact that this guy's going to get up and walk right now, was huge. Do you understand? That's why the Pharisees were looking for that. Remember again, we're studying his life, not to look at him and go, wow, wasn't Jesus amazing? We are studying his life so that we know what the person on the inside of us. We always say he lives in in us. Do we believe that? Or is that a little religious statement we say? We, we need to get to the place where we begin to understand. When 1 John 4.4 4 says, Greater is He that is in you. Then, when you say greater, it means it's bigger than something else. Do you understand? And the person that was, can I say it in this way? The person that was there in the midst of them was greater than all of their disbelief. So it didn't matter how much they disbelieved and how much you know, unbelief and, and, and strife, division they brought in. It didn't matter to him. He's still going to heal this guy. But he's gonna, you know, you're going to find out, he's going to say, go home. Because you don't want to wait around here. This is not a good atmosphere. Once you're healed, you don't want to lose your healing. Craig Evans points out, by asking his critics which is easier, Jesus backs them into a corner. Anyone can say some, someone's sins are forgiven, but to do something such as curing a physical ailment brought on by sin is an altogether different question. Okay, especially if, as Robert H. Mounts explains, they had accepted the premise that this sickness was the result of sin. If a person had the power to heal, then his authority to forgive the sin that caused the sickness would have to also be accepted. But as always, Jesus is going to not only use this opportunity to prove his power and authority to forgive sins, but use a title for the very first time to tie together divine authority and a soon-coming reborn human race who would carry the title, Children of God. And says in Mark chapter 2 and verse 10, this is a very powerful thing, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, he didn't say the Son of God, you know he could have said the Son of God. He is the Son of God, isn't he? And they were asking a question, who but God could forgive sins? It would have been more appropriate for him to say, that you may know that the Son of God has power. Because if, 
if God has power, then His Son must have power as well. Are you, are you getting this? See, so this is very unusual that he just takes a left turn somewhere and goes in a whole other direction. Something that is just unexpected. But when I read it, when I was looking at the, the significance of what he said and the consequences of what he's going to say, I thought, boy, I tell you, man, I would have, geez, I would, right now, that point in time, I would have come up with the Son of God part. You know, just like to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now is a good time to call the Son part in. And to say that the Son of God, you know, can heal as the power to forgive sin. That would have been awesome. But he's doing something extraordinary here by saying that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Listen, and these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, alright, they'll do all of these things and lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's why we, we have to go from being citizens to ambassadors. See, we become citizens of the kingdom when we get saved. But we become ambassadors of the kingdom once we start operating in His word. And then when we go in His name, that's why we never go in our name. Whose life do you have now? What's your favorite verse? Galatians 2.20, you know, okay? It's no longer I that lives, but Christ. Do we believe that? Okay, if you believe it is now Christ that lives in you, then you begin to understand why the Apostle Paul said, I have wronged no man. After he killed Stephen. We all know he killed Stephen. Okay, indirectly, but he killed the dude. But you know what? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything old has passed away. All things have become new. And you have to read the next little bit in the next verse. They shouldn't have cut it there. Because it goes in the sand, all things are of God. It was 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 5.18, I believe. Okay, something like that. Alright, it says all things are of God. And you need to get this. See, we are now living not our life anymore. We are living His life. You see, this is a whole key to this. He's, he was about to introduce this new race of beings that were coming. They're not there yet because He hasn't died yet. Okay, only after He dies can we be born again. That's why he was saying, if a seed doesn't die first, then it cannot be, you know, out of that is going to come a whole multitude. But it has to die before it's reborn. Hello. Okay. And so we all got reborn in that. And that's the reason why so much of the time, you know, again, I try to get this across to you, that you need to understand that we are studying the life that now lives in us. Amen. And we need to know that when we lay hands on the sick, if they had committed sin, by laying hands on them and pronouncing them healed, we are also forgiving them of their sin. Do you, are you getting this now? Are you getting this? Okay. That's why James talks about that. And if he has committed any sins, remember call the elders of the church, and if, if, he, if he has committed any sins, okay, this is for a sick person needing healing, he says they'll be forgiven too. As a part of the healing. Get it? See how it all ties together? Now we're back to here, alright? Alright, gave you all that because you all needed it. Alright, back to this. <laughs> that is extra. Alright, no charge. Alright, back to this. Because so <laughs> I know some of this stuff is hard to swallow. I get it. But the word is there to back it up. And you all need to know it's there. Alright, so he says here, an extraordinary statement, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now, I am really sad that I didn't put uh, the next verse. So we are going to turn, just for a moment, to page 35, and look at the top of page 35, and see that it says in verse 12, the very next verse, because you need to know what all happened, immediately he rose. Can you see that? Right, let's go back now. Okay, see, oh no, it worked. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm sorry, you know, had I thought about it a little bit more, I would have just added that little bit in at that point to let you know that it worked. Because he, this, all of this is about to prove something. And you need to know it worked in order for you to know something was proven. Okay, all right. So, first of all, let's, let's begin looking at this. In looking at the title, Son of Man, let me, let me deal with some of these things. Its most significant use was in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel writes, all right, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, oh, that's God the Father, and they brought him, that's the Son of Man, near before him, that's God the Father. I put it all in so you all know who were the him and he is and he is. Okay, all right, it was very, it was very confusing. Then to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Can you see how all of this is attributed to the Son of Man? Interesting, isn't it? Because remember right at the beginning, God created us, and he said, you have dominion. See, we still have not understood that God has dominion in heaven, and he gave his likeness and his image dominion on earth, in this realm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, so that was always our dominion. So for Jesus Christ to come as the Son of Man, he is reinstating something, because they had lost sight of the fact that we came from God. Not from some little monkey hanging off a tree. Okay, that had an altered DNA or something. We came from God. And like God has dominion in heaven, we were given dominion on this earth. And we lost that dominion because of our sin. And Jesus Christ was to come back to reinstate and give us that dominion back. See, and this is the difference between religion and what God is actually doing. All right? Religion is saying, oh, submit to God, and you have to turn your life around and give it to God. And none of that stuff is wrong. But the whole purpose behind it is wrong. Why? So that you can become this person that is just, for most of the cases, okay? There's some extraordinary individuals out there. But for most you know, people, that means a surrender. How many people have heard surrender, surrender, surrender? You know, surrender is what you do when the enemy overwhelms you. Not when the people that are backing you come and say, we're here to help. Now is not time not to surrender. What do you do? Cooperate. Amen? See, and this is what the message we should be preaching. That's the reason why when I'm, when I'm talking to people, when I get them saved, you know, if, I'm, if I'm to get them saved, so to speak, I don't like using that word, but you know, let me use it because you guys understand it. Okay? Uh, the way I put it is to rejoin the family. Okay? But let's call it saved. It's shorter. Okay? <laughs> uh, the whole point is, you know, I want to pray for people. And I know that they need God there for, them, for Him to move unhindered in their life. They need to receive Him so that He can work. That's all it is. Get it? So, you know, all this business about surrendering and stuff. See, 
That, that's the reason why the Apostle Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he doesn't talk about sin. He's, he talks about believing in your heart. Okay? That Jesus is Lord. God raised Him from the dead, so you're not you know, serving a dead God. Okay? You'll be saved. Simple as that. And we have taken that and complicated it, and said, oh, before you confess Jesus, Lord, you have to know these 600 things. And everything, you know, I mean, just we have just done so much to complicate something. And the, the thing is, God is saying, listen, it doesn't take much to get in. Okay? And I need to work in your life. That's the reason why you want to join this family. So I can work. You know, the Godfather, you know what I'm trying to say? He wants to do some stuff. He wants to take some demons down. But you need to let him in. And so that's the reason why when I'm talking to people, I just, you know, I don't get religious with them. I say, you need God's help? They go, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. That's the reason why they come up for prayer. So I say, listen, all right, you need to receive Jesus as Lord so that He can be Lord over this situation and take care of it for you. Are you good with that? They're like, oh yeah, we're good with that. (laughs) Okay? We're done. So that's the first thing that I get them to pray. I'll say, can I share this with you? Is this okay? Because, you know, I think sometimes... If we get this, the simplicity of it, and the power behind it is extraordinary. So I just say, all right, just repeat after me. And so they'll say, okay. So I say, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. I thank you for coming into this life and beginning to help me and assist me through this problem. And whatever the problem is, I'm not going to tell you right there. Okay, okay. I'll be very specific about the problem, but... And that you are going to give me wisdom and insight and understanding. And you are going to bring the provision that is necessary in order for me to defeat this thing. And so on and so forth. So they are in a position, not of surrender, but of cooperation with their Savior. And so they begin their journey knowing how to cooperate with their Lord. And this is how their Lord works. Amen? And your will is involved in it. Amen? And then the two of you, the Lord working with them, confirming His word with signs following. Amen? That's it. You know, a lot of times they don't even realize they just got saved. But that's, what, that's all it is. We make such a big religious deal out of it. That's it. You receive the Lord. He comes in. He starts working. We move on. Leave it simple. Let it be that simple. Amen. Okay. And we'll get back to this now. Did that, did that help? So this verse parallels, which is what I was bringing out. The scripture is in Genesis and Psalms. First it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves in the earth. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 8, it's not a chapter. Psalm 8 verses 5 and 6. So many preachers go Psalm chapter 8. There's no Psalm chapter 8, okay? It's this eighth Psalm. Alright. So, it says here, For you made us only a little... This is from the New Living Translation. See the little NLT down the bottom? It is the most accurate one. Thank God somebody had the guts to write it in. Now, if some people want to put angels in there, go for it. Okay? But that word is the same word that is used in Genesis 1.28 when it said, Then God blessed them. See the word God there? It's Elohim. See the word uh, made us a little bit lower than other translations say angels. That word is Elohim. Do you all know? It's the same Hebrew word. So you can translate it however you want. I reckon it was God that gave them dominion and said to them, 
And it's God here that he's saying that we are just a little bit under. Obviously because we were made in the image and likeness of God. Okay, so anyway, back to this. So he says here, and that's why I like this version. For you made us only a little lower than God. You crowned us with glory and honor. Which is in line with what Genesis tells us. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Amen? Alright. Sadly, when mankind sinned and fell from the original position of authority, they, that is both male and female, lost it all. However, now in Christ, it is all being restored back to us through the new birth. Amen. And you thought this is about a guy getting healed. All right. (laughs) Isn't it incredible the truths that are contained in these things? Amen. All right. But fallen thinking is unable to accept this reinstatement. And why even when he was questioned by the high priest about his identity, Jesus quotes this scripture in Daniel and again unites the titles, the Son of God with the Son of Man to reveal his mission to the high priest with absolutely no success, sadly. All right. This incident is brought on in Matthew chapter 26. Let me just read this to you. Verses 63 through 65, where it says, The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus hasn't been answering that question because they've been always wanting to use it against him, and and, and they did not want to hear. Okay, But at this point in time, it's the high priest. At this point in time, he is putting him under oath. Notice he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. This is what changes everything. Tell us. For all those people that say that Jesus never said that he was the Son of God, here is yet another scripture to prove them wrong. Can you all read? What does he say? No? The first words out of his mouth is, Yes, it is as you say. But the guy said exactly. You know, if the guy said it in faith, he'd have got saved right then. Isn't it sad? Okay, anyway. Jesus replied, But I say to all of you, in the future, Oh Jesus, you know Jesus, that's enough. You should have just stopped that, that part. But no, man, you got to turn and twist the sword. And you know, you got to do the thing. So he's about to do this now. He says, in the future, you will see the Son of Man. Watch this. Remember, watch now they said, if you, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, that was a question. He says, yes, it is as you say. So he's saying, yes, I'm the Son of God. Okay, I'm the Christ, the Son of God. But then he's going to go on and add this title in. Watch now. He says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. And coming on the clouds of heaven. Ooh. Then the high priest tore his clothes. Forgot he was wearing underwear. No. <laughs> okay. I didn't say that. Right? I'm sorry. This is all so serious. So he says, the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Now, the thing is that when they tore their clothes like that, it, it, it was blasphemy. It was like an outrage. Okay. This is their, their way of saying they were outraged. Okay. Now, let me just share something with you here. I didn't put it in my notes. I didn't think I, was, I wanted to share it, but... Isn't it interesting that Jesus, once again, is trying to help us see something? He says, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am. All right? I am the Christ. But he's saying, listen, what you're going to see is the Son of Man. Not the Son of God, but the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Why? 
Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is going to get the revelation. And he is going to say, we are seated together with him in heavenly places, in Christ. He was representing us down here. He was a perfect man, reinstating all of mankind back to their position, but to a higher position than they had before, which is unusual. See, this is what you need to also understand. All right? When God created mankind, he made us a little bit lower than him. And he gave us dominion down here. We were not seated in a heavenly throne. We had an earthly throne, so to speak. We lost our earthly throne. And so the only way that we could regain our authority was to be placed in a higher position than the earthly throne. Which throne was higher than the earthly throne? God's throne. It's the only one higher. The one that created owns it all. Get it? He is the one that is head of everything. Are you all with me? And so in order for us to be reinstated back into a position of power, we had to be raised up all the way up to God's level. Not that we're God, but we're in Him. We are now the body of Christ. He is the head, we're the body. Whatever the head can do, have you noticed the body can do the same thing? For example, when I look at Leo, it's, I don't say, Leo, hello to your head and your body. You're both welcome in this place. You would look at me and think I was a little bit Looney Tunes. But we do that all the time. We look at the head and we say, well, the head, that's Jesus. This is just us. We are the body of Christ. We have been united in Christ and we've been placed in God. Isn't that awesome? And that's why the Apostle John is going to say, greater is he that is in us. You, have, you guys have no idea what a powerful thing lives inside of you. And it's a he. And it's not a thing. It's an individual. It is God himself. That's why you can get guidance from inside. All right. Let me just finish with this and we'll take a break. This again goes to show us how much these people were under Satan's influence and what Jesus meant when he said, see, they didn't receive any of this, okay? They just said, he's spoken blasphemy. And what Jesus meant when he said about them in John chapter 8 and verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. That is an incredible thing to say to religious leaders. Amen? And by the time we get to John chapter 8, we know that all the stops are going pulled out. It's getting to that midnight hour. Time is short. He doesn't mince his words anymore. He has been patient and long-suffering with them, you know, year after year after year. And towards this end of this, is the end of that, you know, he's two and a half or three years or whatever it is when all this happens. And then, yeah... We know what happens after that. Okay, let's take a break here. We'll come back and pick up there and go from there.